today. Appreciate your presence being with us. We want you to know that you're always welcome here at Midway. And we do want to take this opportunity to invite you especially to be back next Sunday with us. We'll have a speaker, uh, a preacher, and I don't know, a speecher. But uh, uh, Brother Daniel Rogers will be here. And of course, we're inviting all of our law enforcement agencies uh, from various uh, venues here in our area, and it's uh, Law Enforcement Appreciation Day, and we want to uh, honor them. We come together to worship our Heavenly Father, but we want to honor them and invite them and share the gospel with them as well. And so invite all that you know, sing on the bulletin, not only are we inviting those who are members of the law enforcement uh, fields, but also those who would like to come out and to be a part of showing their appreciation for those who serve and protect our communities. This morning as we begin our lesson, I want you to think about something that took place a long, long time ago. It's been 22 years since uh, many of us watched on our televisions and saw the white bronco being chased and then seeing the trial of the century and remembering Johnny, uh, the, 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 well, lost his name this morning. I don't know. I can't preach for some reason today. Uh, but the, the guy, the, the lawyer, standing up and saying, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. Now, some of you are over here on this side. You weren't even born back then, but many of us remember that. And in spite of much evidence that was presented and in spite of so many things that pointed to a guilty verdict, there was a not guilty verdict that was rendered. And then more recently than that, in 2008... And there was this young lady that you see on the screen as well. Her name is Casey. She had a daughter by the name of Kaylee. And she was accused of murdering her own daughter. And of course, uh, she refused for several weeks to even admit that she was missing. Her parents would ask about the daughter, the granddaughter, and, and she would always give some kind of excuse. But uh, much evidence again was presented in this case. And in spite of the fact that that DNA evidence of, of her daughter was found in her trunk and it could only have come from the daughter after she had died, uh, she had, uh, likewise was found not guilty. And so when we think about cases like this, we begin to wonder, is there any such thing as justice? And even more recently, you see the pictures on the screen of, of the things that are happening in our, uh, our United States of America, the protests that are going on, and, and folks who are saying things like no justice, no peace, and, and all kinds of things like that. And we wonder, what about justice? Is there any such thing as justice? Sometimes it appears that justice is not really the goal at all. Let me share with you two or three cases that have taken place within the last few years. In Florida, a 48-year-old man was sentenced to life in prison for raping a 13-year-old girl with muscular dystrophy, and he was released from prison by a district court of appeals because they said he was charged with the wrong charge. Now listen to the reasoning. The charge, sexual battery of a helpless person, was the charge that was brought against him and that he was convicted of. 
But the court deemed it unfair because the girl had screamed for help and tried to push him away as he was attacking her. And so the maximum 30-year sentence was reduced to only a few months. Where is the justice in something like that? But here's another one. I want you to think about this one. A Philadelphia mother was cleared of murder charges in the smothering death of her infant daughter when the judge cleared the woman because, as the judge explained, the child had lingered for days in a coma before eventually dying. And so the judge was not convinced that the mother was guilty of murder. Here's another one that took place in Pennsylvania as well. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court vacated the death sentence of a convicted murderer because the deputy district attorney quoted from the Bible in his closing arguments. They overturned the the conviction because the prosecutor had read something from Scripture. Where is the justice in that? There are many reasons I'm convinced for a lack of justice in our world today. Maybe it's because of the incompetence of an attorney, the defense attorney, or the prosecution, or or even the judge. Perhaps it's because uh, the jury was deficient in some way. Maybe they did not get to hear some part of the evidence that was presented that everybody else gets to hear. Perhaps there was bribery or some other criminal conduct that was involved in the cases. Maybe we have become so politically correct that the rulings without, uh, are rendered without any legal uh, precedent and they're handed down just uh, uh, to legislate from the bench. Whatever the reason, it seems that we have a lack of justice in our world today. But I want us to understand one thing this morning as we begin our thoughts in regard to justice or just us. I want us to understand that one thing is for certain as God is removed from the courtrooms and public life, so is the source of justice. You see, when we take God away, we take the one who is just himself And the the justice that should be rendered comes basically and, and foremost from God Himself. Let me share with you another case that was took place in a foreign country a number of years ago. The case has been highlighted in movies and documentaries in recent years. Unlike our own judicial system here in the United States of America, Uh, there was uh, the possibility of multiple judges that sit on the court as uh, the the trial is going on in the case of guilt or innocent. And in this case, it, it became famous. One reason was because the man who was convicted and eventually put to death was proven to be an innocent man. Now, one of the things that was wrong in this particular case is that these multiple judges that sat on uh, the trial, they themselves had a prejudice against the man who was brought before them. And even the majority of the judges in the case had convicted the man in their own mind before he was ever brought before them. 
In fact, they themselves were involved in a conspiracy to, uh, to have the man arrested because of things that they had heard in regard to him. In order to cover themselves, of course, they had to at least follow a form of, uh, of, uh, uh, of, of legalities in their own country. And so, uh, in order to keep their own citizens from rising up against them, they had to have the trial. In order to uh, get the conviction that they wanted against this man, they resorted to bribery and getting their witnesses to testify falsely against him. And, And I'm sure it must have been somewhat comical because... As you read the accounts of this particular trial, you'll find that even the, 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 uh, the witnesses that had been bribed couldn't even agree with one another in what they were saying. I guess the judges didn't prep them before they brought them out and paraded them in front of other folks. And so, as you can see, it became somewhat of a mock trial, but yet it was taking place. These judges, they even resorted to accusing the guy of threatening, threatening to destroy one of the country's uh, uh, most prized structures of the day. It would be sort of like getting a person to, uh, to uh, uh, admit that he wanted to blow up the Capitol building or something of that nature. When they didn't seem to be getting anywhere, with the charges that they brought against him, they accused the man of what accounts to sedition and treason. And they, even the head judge in this particular case, attempted to get the man to confess in open court. And after hearing the answer that the man gave, the court was convinced that they had enough to convict him of his dreadful plan, and, or, or their dreadful plan. The only thing standing between them and the man's execution, of course, was the appeals process. And in this case, there were two higher courts, but they too were somewhat in on the conspiracy and and they acted shamefully in their own treatment. And injustice, injustice was upheld. Finally, the matter was returned to the lower court where the death sentence would ultimately be carried out. One writer said that he couldn't help but picture more than 72,000 angels with drawn swords having their eyes firmly fixed on the Father in heaven, just waiting for him to issue the command for them to blast forth from heaven and utterly destroy a world that was about to execute his son. You see, Jesus knows more than any other person what it means to suffer injustice. What should we learn from Jesus about dealing with injustices in our own life, in our own nation, in our own system? What can we learn from Him about that? Two main things this morning that I want to share with you, and we'll fill in the rest of the blanks as we go through that. I want us to understand this morning that we strive to be just. Not moving there, Randall. We must strive to be just. 
You see, Jesus himself was a just man. Think about what is said in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, at verse number 19. It's not said about Jesus. It's said about Joseph, the man who would be the husband of his mother. But the Bible says, and her husband Joseph was just, was a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame. I want you to focus for just a moment on that word just. The word that's translated just in that passage is used in a number of other places, especially in regard to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 23 at verse number 47, the Bible says, When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, and this is at the crucifixion of Jesus, when he saw what was happening with the skies turning dark and the earth beginning to quake and all of the things that took place at the crucifixion, the Bible says when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this was, English Standard Version says, an innocent man. But the same word is used in that passage, translated innocent here, as is used in regard to Joseph back in Matthew chapter 1 at verse number 19. When the Bible says Joseph was a just man and it identifies Jesus as being an innocent man, what it's literally saying is that this man was a just man. In spite of the fact that he was put to death, in spite of the fact that he had been brought before the Sanhedrin council and been taken to Herod, taken to Pilate, and been wrongfully convicted, here's a man who said of Jesus that he is a just man. We need to strive to be like Jesus because Jesus was just. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse number 18, the Bible says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Focus back on that word righteous. It's the same word that's used in Luke 23 at verse 47, translated innocent there. The same word that's used back in Matthew chapter 1 verse 19 about Joseph who was a just man. And when the centurion pronounced Jesus to be a just man, so it is that Peter himself also says that the just one died for English standard says unrighteous, but the word translated unrighteous is the word for unjust. The just man died for the unjust ones. Jesus died for us. But we need to strive to be like Him. In other words, we must be just like Him. Some of the things that we need to remember is that Philippians chapter 1, or 4, rather, verse number 8, says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, and then he goes through some other things, he says, think about these things. You see, our thoughts must be centered on things that are just. In the book of John, chapter 7, at verse 24, the Bible says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. That's the same word that we've already been speaking about in regard to Jesus. It's the word that says we are to judge things with just judgment. In the book of Colossians chapter 4 verse 1, the Bible says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. 
And in the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, the Bible says this. It says, He said also to the man who had invited him, When you get a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you get a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Now pay close attention to this next phrase. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You see, we need to strive to be just in order to be like Jesus. Our thoughts need to be on Him. We need to judge with right judgment. We need to treat everybody, even those who who are employed, by us, or even in the first century who were servants of others, treat them justly because one day we will be judged. And we will be determined to be even either found just or unjust. And we'll be repaid. And I want to be repaid well at the resurrection of the just. Folks, we need to live in and view of the coming judgment. We need to remember that. We need to learn something about also as we think about that coming judgment. We need to learn something about the mystery of power displayed in weakness. The mystery of power displayed in weakness. Those two things sound as though they are opposites, don't they? Whenever we think about Power, we think about somebody being able to accomplish or do anything he wants. When we think about weakness, we think about somebody who can't do anything. But we need to learn something about the mystery of power displayed in weakness. Preacher, what are you talking about? I want you to think about it in these terms. Standing before Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin and Pilate and Herod, Jesus appeared to be puny, didn't he? He appeared that he had no power whatsoever. And even the chief priest and the scribes, the Bible says in Mark chapter 15, verse 31, mocked him and said these words, He saved others himself, he cannot save. They looked at him and they said, Here must be a puny man. But Jesus himself could have said just a word. And more than 72,000 angels would have poured from heaven and obliterated earth. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 26 at verse 53 that Jesus himself said, Don't you know that right now I could call down more than 12 legions of angels? A Roman legion was around 6,000 people. And so Jesus said, I could call down some 72,000 angels, and they had put a stop to everything right now. He appeared to be puny. He appeared to be weak, but he had power. It's not that he didn't have power. It's just that he had a different purpose in mind. A different purpose in mind. Now remember, we're talking about living in view of the coming judgment. Did you pay attention to what was read by Nathan this morning? From the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 24 through 28, speaks about Jesus, how he didn't enter into 
into places. He didn't go into the literal temple of Jerusalem and offer himself. He went into the heavenly places. He went into to heaven itself to offer or offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. But I want you to pay close attention to what is said in verse 26 and following. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once. He appeared once. He came the first time. And then Paul, or the writer of the book of Hebrews, gives an illustration about this once matter. He said it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. He said Jesus has already appeared once, but then something's going to happen. What happened the first time? Well, he appeared the first time to offer himself as a sacrifice, to bear the sins of many, verse number 28. But then it says in verse 28 this, He will appear a second time. Now why is He coming back the second time? On that first occasion when He was here, He offered Himself as a sacrifice. He stood before Caiaphas. He stood before Annas. He stood before Pilate. He stood before Herod. And He took it. And when they stripped him from, uh, stripped his clothes from him and beat his back and nailed him to his cross, he took it for you and me so that we could have salvation. Says he appeared the first time for that, but he will appear a second time. Now listen to what the scriptures say not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. When He comes the second time, He's not coming to deal with sin. He's not coming to make it possible for people to be saved. He's coming to take those who are saved home. He's coming to rescue, if you will, those who have been obedient to Him and give them the things that they need in heaven. But in saving those, taking them home, what else will happen? We think about Him saving us from our sins, saving us from the hardships down here, taking the pain away. But what is the source of many pains? What is the source of uh, of things that cause us affliction and hurt? The answer to that is found not in the book of Hebrews, but in the book of 2 Thessalonians where Paul deals with the same matter. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 beginning, Paul writes and says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That's what our theme or what we're talking about right now. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also are suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, 
They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of His might. When He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. You see, when He appears that second time, according to the book of Hebrews chapter 9, to save us, He will consider it just to inflict upon those who have been unjust punishment. To right the wrongs. To make justice possible. We live in view of that day. Acts 17, verses 30 and 31 says, The times of this ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. The word righteousness, again, is from that same word, comes from the same word, that we've already been talking about. He will judge in a manner that is completely right. He will judge in a manner that is completely just. You see, when Jesus appears that second time, it's not to save people from their sins, it's to take the saved home. And to deal with those who have afflicted the saved, failing to listen to God. And remember what he said in First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, chapter one: God considers it just to do that. He will render justice. You see, injustice was rendered at Jesus' trial. But true justice will be rendered when He returns. Justice Horace Gray of the Supreme Court from 1881 to 1902 said to a man who was brought before him in a lower court who had escaped the penalty that Uh, should have been befallen him because of some technicality. He made this statement. He said, I know that you're guilty. And I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge. There you will be dealt according to justice and not according to law. We need to remember those words as well. And so this morning, even in the face of mass injustices in our world, when we see on our televisions people who are guilty and and it's almost beyond a, a reasonable doubt, is beyond a reasonable doubt, when we see them getting away with murder and all kinds of things, 
let off on technicalities, when we see the injustices that are filling our world, as Christians we must be careful not to get confused. You see, our purpose is not to right all injustices and social injustices that are taking place around us. That's not our purpose here. Just as it wasn't Jesus' purpose when he was standing before Annas and Caiaphas and Herod and Pilate, it wasn't his purpose to strike them down and to prove his power. His purpose there was to make it possible for salvation to come. So our purpose is today. In the world's eyes, those things that, that we seek are weak. In, in a world whose eyes are looking for power and force, we as Christians look weak. Our world says we need protest. We need violence. We need all kinds of things to demand justice, whether it's true justice or perceived justice. But if we take that same kind of approach, we as the Lord's church lose our influence and our power. You see, our power is from preaching the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Our power is in prayer for the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James chapter 5 verse 16. Our power is in humble service before God. And the world looks at these things and they say, these things are puny. But our purpose as Christians are not to right every injustice in our world but to make it possible for our world to know what to do to be saved. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 8 and 9, the prophet writes these words, If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn away, turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity. But you will have delivered your soul. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that we receive the things what is due. For what he has done, each one according to what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Folks, we have to be more concerned when it comes to justice than just us. Just the things that we can get. Jesus suffered the injustices that befell him so that he could save us. And though we have the responsibility to be just ourselves, it is not our place to solve always the demands 
to get the injustices of this life corrected. We can and probably will be treated unjustly. And this too shall pass because we have obtained mercy from above. We may not be able to right all wrongs here, but we can warn all who we meet of the justice that one day will be carried out. Instead of demanding justice, we should be seeking mercy for ourselves and for others. Justice or just us? Just us is when we're seeking to get everything our way here. Where we don't hurt, where we're not having any problems here. But I'd rather have some problems here than to have them there. Our world is unjust, but our God is just. One day we'll stand before Him and be judged in justice. Don't you need some mercy? Every one of us do. The Lord came to provide it for us. Would you believe in Him? So much that you turned away from your sins, willing to confess that He is indeed the Son of God who came to save you. Maybe you're here and you need to be baptized. We invite you to do that today. We'd assist you with that this very morning. Maybe you're here and you realize that, that you need to make a change in your life. That's the case and you need to respond to the Lord's invitation today. Do it right now as we stand and sing.